Amen. Uh, we are taking up in John, 1 John, uh, chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at those first five verses. So if you want to find your place there. But before we actually read the, the passage of Scripture, I want us to think about something. And let's think about the fact that all of us are born to a family, right? We're born to a family. Now, some people, when they're born to a family, they're born with a lot of privilege, right? I mean, they may be born into a wealthy family with a lot of property and a lot of goods. And so they may be born into privilege. Now, me, that wasn't me. I wasn't born into wealth or privilege. Uh, My kids uh, weren't born into wealth and privilege, but some may have been. But all of us were born to a family, okay? Uh, Now, I was thinking about that in relation to my my little family. And so being born into the Williams uh, household will... uh, will guarantee that you inherit some benefits, okay? Some benefits when you're born into the Williams household. Uh, One of the benefits is um, you will be loved. Uh, We may not be perfect uh, at expressing that, but you will be loved, okay? That's one of the benefits of being born into the Williams family. Uh, Another benefit that I was thinking about being born into the Williams family is you more than likely inherit a great deal of spunk and sarcasm because uh, Melissa's very sarcastic, you know. (laughs) No, both of us are, so you probably would inherit a whole lot of spunk and a whole lot of sarcasm. Third, uh, you'll be well fed. One of the benefits of being born into the Williams family is we like to cook and we like to eat. And so you would be very well fed. You would be able to laugh and you would be able to be loud. I I never will forget when I was pastoring at Macedonia, we always had folks over. And the one thing they always said is, uh, it is loud at your house, you know. And so you can laugh and you can be loud at the Williams house. That's one of the benefits. A, A fourth benefit that I was thinking about that comes with being born into the Williams household is that you will be fought for adamantly and protected because we uh, protect our own. And so you'll be fought for if you were born into the Williams family. And then a fifth thing, kind of the last thing, and it was really hard to come up with five benefits, let me just tell you. A fifth benefit is that we would hope to pass down enough wisdom that you would know how to get in out of the rain, okay? Just that much wisdom. We can't guarantee a whole lot more than that, but uh, you would get enough wisdom that you would know how to get in out of the rain, okay? And maybe even a second wisdom, you would be able to walk and chew gum at the same time, okay? That may be the the max of the wisdom that you would get. But also, uh, unfortunately, being born in the Williams home comes with some misfortunes. One of those is you will not have any money left to you, okay? Because we don't have any. We don't have any. And if we did, we plan on spending it before you get it, okay? So you wouldn't have any money if you were born to the Williams household. A second misfortune of being born into the Williams household is you may inherit our devilish good looks, But it doesn't come with any kind of superpowers like the ability to fly 
or run at excessive speeds or to move objects with your mind. It doesn't come with any superpowers, okay? And last, we cannot guarantee you that everything will be easy for you if you were born into the household. Uh, And uh, the outcomes may not always be favorable, but you would be loved, even if it wasn't. And the reason I brought up all of those things is because in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, he talks about being part of the family of God, being born of God, and he gives us two exciting results of being a child of God. And let me just give those to you because it's the title of the message, Born Again, Born to Win. There's two exciting results of being a child of God. One is you will be born again, and you will be born to win. So let's look in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and follow his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his, compa- his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I love the way the King James, even our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of being part of your family. And Lord, we could not even begin to list the benefits of what it is to be your child. And Lord, we just thank you for that wonderful privilege. I pray today as we look to your word and we think about these two exciting results of being your child, that you would bless this time together. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would direct direct us in everything that we say. Lord, that you would be glorified through your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at these two exciting benefits I've already given them to you it's being born again and it's being born to win so let's look at this very first one the idea of being born again the first result of being a child of God is you have been born again he says everyone that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God In other words, there's this supernatural thing that takes place when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as as Lord. This supernatural birth takes place. When he talks about this idea of being born of God, it's the idea of being born again. And so in John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 it says this, But as many as received him, Jesus... To them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, 
nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so there's this idea that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are born again. In John chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you shall not see the kingdom of God. Uh, we must be born again. Now, now, we'll look in a little while at the how of being born again. But right now, I want us to look at the what of being born again. What does it mean to become a child of God? What does it mean to be born again? Well, if we look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, I believe Paul just sums it up really well. What it means to be born again. Again, he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Uh, in, in other words, the old man is dead and the new man is alive. We have become a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Second or in First Peter, uh, chapter 1, verse 23, and in chapter 2, verse 2, Peter puts it this way. He says, For you have been born again, not of the seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living, enduring word of God. And then in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. In other words, he says that we have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. What's, what's Peter saying? He's saying that in our first birth, in our natural birth, we were born to perish. We were born to die. Uh, we live with the... the reality hanging over our head that at one day we're going to say goodbye to our loved ones or our loved ones are going to say goodbye to us. We, we grow up realizing that. We, we try to push it back. We may try to deny it and everything else, but we live with that reality over our head that every one of us one day is going to die. Why? Because we were born of perishable seed, right? And so what Peter is saying is that we have been born again of an imperishable seed. Jesus said it this way in John uh, chapter 11. I am the resurrection and life. He that believeth in me, though he be dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. In other words, I have come to give you eternal life. And when it's speaking about being born again, we are a new creation. Uh, 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 the creation that God intended in the beginning an imperishable seed that we have been born again to eternal life being born again is the beginning of eternal life in us it's a whole new life a new start a fresh beginning a clean slate a second chance a new lease on life or a whole new status as a person it's a supernatural act of God on our behalf. Uh, let me just say this as a side note. I may not say it in the next service. You get stuff they don't get. They get stuff you don't get. Being saved is not just an intellectual decision. I mean, it, 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 it takes that part, right? 
there's this realization that I'm lost. That the Holy Spirit puts upon her, I'm lost. I'm undone. I need Jesus. The Holy Spirit does that in our life. And so intellectually we process that. By an act of our volition we surrender our lives to God. And then God does something that only God can do in our life. He transforms us, changes us, gives us new life. We're born again. It's a supernatural act of God. Now here's what Dr. Daniel Aiken, the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, here's what he said about the new birth. He said Jesus did not come to die on a bloody cross to make us kinder and nicer persons. He came to dramatically, personally, radically, and eternally transform us and make us a new person new people and so it's a supernatural act of God and so what what John is saying is everyone without exception that believes Jesus is the Christ is born of God they have a new birth this supernatural act of God now let's look at a few details if we can about the new birth that I believe John points out to us here. First is the priority of being born again. The priority of being born again. Verse 1 begins with this everyone. And we've talked about this. It's shown up several different times within the book of First John. And the idea is everyone without exception. And so everyone, the idea is everyone without exception that believes Jesus Christ is, or Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. And everyone without exception that doesn't believe that will not be born of God. Now the problem is, if you are not heaven born, you cannot be heaven bound. We have this philosophy in our world today that all you have to do to go to heaven is die. That's untrue. Every person that dies does not go to heaven. Only those that have been born again will go to heaven. What is it? Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. Right? Every person that is born again will go to heaven. Every person that has not been born again will not go to heaven. And so he's saying this everyone without exception that, that believes Jesus is the Christ. And we'll talk about that a little more later when we talk about the how. Uh, they, they are born again. They're heaven bound. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 verse 3. That you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Being born again is essential to eternal life. We must be made new, become a new creation, and have a new status in order to go to heaven. The natural person cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. And so the term born of God is stated three different times in these five verses in order to emphasize and indicate the priority of the new birth. There's a priority. Second, there's the process, okay? The process of being born again. If we look in verses 1 and 5, he gives two different declarations. Uh, the first is, 
He that believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God in verse 1. In verse 5 he says, He that believes that Jesus is the Son of God is born of God. And so he gives these two bookend declarations about Jesus. These things that we commit into our hearts that we believe with all of our hearts. And so how are we to be born again? By believing. Now that sounds simple, doesn't it? Well, I won't tell you it is simple, but there's nothing simple about it, right? This idea of believing, we believe and we are born again. He bookmarks that. We believe, first of all, that Jesus is the Messiah in verse 1. And then believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, believing is not fickle belief in some facts, okay? It's not fickle beliefs. Oh, I believe the Cardinals will win the World Series this year. It's not a belief like that. It's not a fickle belief, but the idea here is this ongoing, never-stopping belief. So, so what, is, what is John saying? He's saying that it's a belief that starts with such conviction that you can never stop believing. He's talking about an ongoing belief. So a belief that starts with such conviction that you can never Stop believing. Have you ever believed anything like that? I'm kind of like this now, and I'm, I, I consider myself a realist. I don't know what you may consider. I don't know what the other categories are, but I would say I'm a realist, okay? If I see something with my own eyes and know something in my heart, you're not going to convince me otherwise, Right? Now, there's all kinds of different beliefs. I'm going to give this as an example. I'm not giving it as a theological uh, uh, prerogative or a, a point, okay? I believe God heals. I believe God heals. He still He hadn't quit doing that. Why do I believe that? Well, I believe that because I've asked God before for something in particular in my body, and he did it. And so I'm convinced. I'm convinced that he does that still, and he's able to do that. And so nobody will ever convince me otherwise on that particular point, okay? There's other things that God has convinced me of, okay? And so what John is saying is we believe that Jesus is the Christ and we believe with such conviction that we can never stop believing that. That's the kind of belief that he is speaking about. So here's these two things, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. So what does he mean by those? So the idea that Jesus is the Christ, the word Christ is where we get the word Messiah from. The word Messiah means the anointed one. It's the idea that he has been appointed to a particular office or offices. That he is one that, that Israel has been looking for that would fill a particular role. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, as he spoke about this particular text, he, he mentioned the fact that Jesus, the anointed one, that he was appointed to the office of prophet, priest, and king. That he filled every one of those offices perfectly. And as we, if you remember back when we were in the book of Hebrews, we saw Jesus in all three of those roles that Spurgeon mentioned. He goes on to say, as a prophet... 
Jesus is the great prophet of God that reveals to us the way of salvation. And then he asks this question. Do I accept him as my teacher and admit that he has the words of life? When we say Jesus is Christ, he's my prophet. He, he tells me and shows me the way of life, the, etern- the way to eternal life. The office of priest. A priest is ordained by God to offer one sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And by offering uh, himself, he once for all finished atonement and completely cleansed me of my sins before God and assured my justification. That's what we say when we say Jesus is our Christ. The anointed one. He's our prophet. He shows us and tells us the way to life. He's our priest. He offered up the one and only sacrifice of himself to justify me before a holy God. And he is king. He is the king that is exalted in heaven. And I gladly turn over the rule of my life to him. That's what we say when we believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God is the second thing that John mentions here. In verse 5, he says, uh, Who is the one who overcomes the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so this prophet, priest, and king identified with man, held earthly positions, died as a man, redeemed man, but is more than merely a man. And when we say that Jesus is The Son of God, we're saying He is God with us. As the title Christ identifies with Jesus' earthly ministry, Son of God identifies His heavenly position. We begin to believe everything about Jesus and we continue to believe everything about Jesus. That's what John's saying. We believe everything that He is. He is our prophet, priest, and king. He is our God. And we, we begin believing that with such conviction that we can never believe anything else. And that is the one that is born of God. So that's the process. We talked about priority. We talked about the process. John talks about the product of being born again. Look in verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and follow his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So he gives us the product of being born again. And just real quickly, those products is love and obedience. Love and obedience. He says that that the one that is born of God will love God. And as a result of loving God, he will love those who belong to God. And so there's this love that goes on. Then what is God's command? To love him (laughs) and to love our neighbor. And so we just see this cycle that's going on. That God says, hey, love me. And you will love me if you're born of me. And if you love me, then you'll love those who belong to me. And what is my command to you? To love me. And to love those who belong to me. And so we see this over and over again. The product is love and obedience to God. And so that's the product of being born again. Let me give you a fourth thing. There's the peace. The peace 
of being born again. Look in verse 3. says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. We obey Him. And His commandments are not burdensome. Isn't that interesting? When we think about and we look at the Word of God and we see all that's in the Word of God, sometimes we look at it with dread. Can I admit something? Sometimes when I sit down to systematically read through the Word of God, I think, all right, how many verses have I got to read today? You ever do that? You may be much nobler than I. <laughs> but sometimes I do that. I'm pushed. I say, all right, oh, man, like this week, I, I think it was John 18, and there's 40 verses. And I thought, man. And I know I've got all this stuff waiting on me. You know, it's almost like things are over here just shuddering and waiting for you to get to them. Now, 40 verses. And then I thought, Mm. I get to spend time with the God that I love. What could be more important than spending time with the God that I love? Sometimes we look at what God has for us and we see it as a burden. How many of you, sometimes your family and, and, and you love your family and you rejoice with your family and it's great to have a family and all those, but you go in and you look at the kitchen. You say, oh, Lord, how much more can I do? Isn't it a burden? And, and, and sometimes we just look at things the wrong way. And what John is saying here is the commandments of God to love. The commandment of God to love is not a burden. It's not burdensome to us. I heard a story. It's about this young lad and he had a brother, a younger brother that was lame. Years ago, before we had all the conveniences that we have today. And so every day, he would get his brother up on his back and he would carry him to school. And finally, this gentleman saw him walking. He said, son, said, do you carry your brother every day to school? And he said, yes, sir, I do. And he said, oh, what a burden for a young man like you. He said, sir... That's not a burden. That's my brother. And you see how our perspective can change about things. And what John is saying is God's command to us to love him and to love one another. It's not a burden. It's a blessing of the new birth. It's a peace that we have in the new birth that we can love God. Let me give you just a couple of verses if I can. In Psalm 1, chapter 1 and 2, he says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, you get that, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 174. He says this, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. My delight. He says that God's law is not a burden. God's, God's commands are not a burden to us. God's command to us to love him and love one another is not a burden. It's a delight. John Piper says it well when he said this. What you desire to do with all of your heart is not burdensome to do. 
What we desire with all of our heart is not burdensome. Result one of being a child of God is we are born again. Here's result two. I love it. We are born to win. Oh, if the world could get this in their hands. Oh, if they could just realize this. When we are on the outside of Christ, before we trust him, we think about all that we have to give up. And we look at Christianity as weak, but I want to tell you we're not weak. We are mighty in God. He says that we, when we are born again, we are born to win. Look in verses 4 and 5 and listen to what it says. For whoever has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I want you to notice, if you will, in that, those short verses that we just looked at, I want you to notice some phrases with me. One is, overcomes the world. And then the other is, this is the victory. And then the next one is, that has overcome the world. And then the next verse, who is the one who overcomes the world? All of those verses, when you see overcome, overcame, victory, and overcomes, it's all one word, and it's a word that we are very familiar with, and the word is Nike. Where have we heard that word? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The, the word Nike, Nike was a Greek goddess of victory, speed, and strength. That's where the name of the shoes come from. Nike's Roman name was fittingly Victoria, which is where we get victory from. The interesting thing about the text that we've just read in verse 4, every time we see overcome, overcame, overcoming, Victory, it's all the same word. It's that one word. And so the idea here is John uses it in, in the noun form and in the verb form. He uses it in the, in the past and the present tense. And, and so he's just wrapping it all together. And he's saying, we have the victory. We will have the victory. We ultimately have the victory. We are victors. I mean, he's bringing all of that together. Overcomes in the present tense is stating that we continually have victory over the world. In the past tense, it is stating that we have already overcame the world. And then in the noun form, he is saying that we are overcomers through our faith in the person of Jesus Christ and our new birth. We are Victors. Does, does this theme of victory sound familiar? Look with me in Romans chapter 8, if you will. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. And then let's read through verse 39. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring charges against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? 
Christ Jesus is he who died, but rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ. Will tribulation or trouble or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, just as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor power nor height nor depth nor any other created thing would be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are victors now we are victors over the world well what is it that we are victors over if we look back in chapter 2 first john chapter 2 verse 16 john points out what the world is it's this world system and when john describes the world he says it's the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life well what is that the lust of the flesh is our self The lust of the eyes is this world system or worldliness. And the pride of life is Satan's original temptation. You remember? They looked at it that it would make one wise. They looked at it as if it would make them like God. Satan's original temptation. Now the new birth through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, empowers us to overcome the world. You know, sometimes (laughs) these thoughts race through my head. Y'all ever had those? The, The temptation to sin. And a lot of times I say, God, I have overcome. This morning it was the strangest thing. And I was talking to another pastor about this. When we preach messages like this, we have to flesh these things out. Do you know that? When you're sitting in the pew out there and you say, okay, God, (laughs) I believe your word. I'm going to apply it to my life and I'm going to live by it. Listen to me. You better get ready for it to be put to the test. It's going to be put to the test in your life. I woke up this morning with crazy thoughts in my head. And I thought, why in the world do I have such crazy thoughts in my head? And I remembered I was preaching on this text of scripture right here. You know what I did? I said, Lord, I have got victory Through my faith in Jesus Christ and my new birth, I have overcome any thought that runs through my head, any temptation that I have to face, I have overcome that. I can overcome my desire for the things of this world through my faith in Jesus Christ, and I can overcome Satan only through my faith in Jesus Christ. You remember in Revelation it says that they have overcome By the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. We can overcome. When we were born again, we were born to win. Now, how some ways we can apply that to our life. Now, I want to give this to you in way of an invitation if Dave wants to make his way on up here. How can we put this to work in our lives? What can we do we know that we are the children of God and that we are living in that victory so what what a difference what a difference faith properly placed can make right what a difference
So here's a couple of questions or thoughts. Are you struggling with an issue that is trying to take you down? Rob you of your joy and make serving the Lord a burden. Are you faced with a temptation like that? Why don't you admit this morning that it's too big for you but not too big for Jesus? Put all of your hope and trust in the one who is, who was, and will always be your victory. He overcame temptation, adversity, pain, ridicule, disappointment, betrayal, death, and the grave. And this morning, listen to me, if you are struggling, we're going to have a time of invitation. I want you to bow your head and claim your victory in the name of Jesus through your faith in him. Would you do that? Uh, Adrian Rogers said this, faith in faith is positive thinking. Faith in Jesus is salvation. Faith in faith is positive thinking, but faith in Jesus is salvation. We need to put our faith and properly place it in Jesus. Do you want to have victory? Then your faith has to be in the person of Jesus. If you're struggling this morning, during this time of invitation, would you just bow and say, God, I trust you. I believe that Jesus is everything that he said he is. And I believe your word when it says, through my faith I can overcome all the works of the devil. I can overcome the world. I can overcome my sinful nature. You have empowered me to do that. And I trust you this morning with it. Just give that thing to him. If you're here this morning... And you know that you've never believed, truly believed with such conviction that you could never believe any other way that Jesus is the only way to heaven. The perfect substitution for your sin and the resurrected king that deserves to rule over your life. The greatest victory that, you, that can ever be won in your life is the victory over death. And that victory only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to turn you back to that word, everyone. He says, everyone, without exception, that believes Jesus is the Christ is born of God. You don't have to clean yourself up this morning. You don't have to take a case of the do-betters. You don't have to turn over a new leaf and try to change your own life. If you will repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God, the one that laid down his life for you and took it up again so that you can be justified before God, the Word of God says that you can be born of God. You can become a child of God. You may have never had an earthly family that you could boast of, but you can have a spiritual family today in Jesus Christ if you'll only trust him. Let's pray together, and then we'll have this time of invitation. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've done it all. All that was necessary for me to become your child. And Lord, I did not deserve it. I am not worthy of it this day, but I am thankful for all that Jesus has done for me. And I pray this morning, if there's one here carrying a burden that's too heavy for them, that they would cast that care upon you. 
And I pray this morning, if there's one here that's never put their absolute trust in who you are, that this morning would be the day of their new birth, and we'll give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.